Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. It's the Keith Walsh Podcast. It's essential like your breakfast. It will get you up and going, learn some things you didn't know Yeah, it's the Keith Walsh Podcast It's the Keith Walsh Podcast Give you energy like buck fast And if your head's in a pickle or you're looking for a giggle It's the Keith Walsh Podcast yeah. Good evening, good day, good night, good morning And how are you? My name is Keith Walsh and this is the Keith Walsh Podcast It's the Thursday night Friday morning podcast. I set myself the pace of putting out three podcasts a week and I intend to keep it. There's no letting up now. Oh no. Unless I run out of guests, then there might be some letting up. Then the letting up will commence. Well, then I'd be letting down, I suppose. You gotta let up to let down. Now I don't know what I'm talking about. Uh, the date is, as I record this, the 26th of November. Lads, this day, four weeks, it'll be all over. Yep. In a month's time, this day, four weeks, or whatever. It'll be, um, probably not exactly four weeks. It'll be Stephen's day. Yep. St. Stephen's Day, would you believe it? And this will be the first Christmas I'm not working on radio full time. Um, which is mad. Because normally I kind of, well actually the last few years I just, I'd finish up on Christmas Eve and that'd be it for a couple of weeks. So it's been nice. But uh, yeah, this will be my first time not on air on Christmas Eve. Probably the show I enjoyed the most of every show throughout the year, for obvious reasons. You know, you're finishing up work, playing a few Christmas tunes, having the lols, about to go on your holliers. And uh, yeah, this year I won't be, but I'll uh, I'll have this, my podcast. So, you know, who's who's laughing now? I don't know who I'm talking to or who that was directed at. Anywho, uh, I almost feckin' wrecked the gaff today, lads. Seriously. I was at home alone. I wasn't alone. Charlie was there. And actually, my son was there as well. But he was busy. Um, He was busy somewhere. Totally oblivious. And I was walking through the kitchen and I heard this, you know, this kind of this noise. And I was like, what? that noise come from and it was accompanied by some I'm doing that with my cheek I'm trying to make a drip noise hang on oh that's much better 
Yeah, it was like, and then a dripping noise. And I was like, what the hell? Where's that coming from? Check the washing machine, check the, there was nothing. You know, the way sometimes you might leave the kettle under the tap and just walk away. You know, I was, I was, look, I was con- convinced that was it. No, looked under the sink. There was a spray of water coming from one of the pipes, one of the, uh, I don't know, one of the seals on a join on, I don't even know what the technical term is. Anyway, there was a leak. The seal had broken on something. The thread was gone. And um, oh, it was just this spray of water. And I don't know how long it had been gone, how long it was there. I checked, took took off the, the skirting board, whatever you call it, uh, from the, the, the sink underneath, from the kitchen underneath on the ground, threw that out of the way. Got a big, massive sheet that I use for painting. Stuffed that under on the ground underneath because the ground was quite wet at this point. Like it was like there was water on the surface, and we've got a wooden floor in the kitchen, so I was freaking out at this stage. Uh, tried to tighten it, the thing where it was coming from, wouldn't budge. So then I got this uh, a wrench. Went in at under the sink with the wrench. I was trying to move it with the wrench. I was, ah, I was. It just wouldn't budge, you know, give it one final go. Whatever I did, I knocked something else off. And now the water was really gushing out. It was like, I was thinking, this is a movie. This is like one of those movies where the water starts gushing out and you can't. It was just, oh my God. And it was coming out so fast. And felt like literally, not literally, but kind of almost. I could have, it started kind of filling up the kitchen. But like, you know, obviously just under the sink first but it was a lot of water and I was like I was almost having a panic attack I was like what the f- what do I do I don't know where the mains are I don't know how to turn the water off what the hell I'm not Mr. DIY walking around here so I rang my brother-in-law I kind of calmed down I took a few deep breaths I rang my brother-in-law John thanks John if you're listening to this I said John what, what the where's the where's the mains for the water how the fuck do you what do I do so he said there should be a tap there somewhere in the sink. So I started feeling around and I felt, put my hand back down where I couldn't see. It was kind of down a hole and I felt this tap, which I switched. Uh, it was a little switch, a flick thing. I flicked it up and it stopped. Oh my God. Oh my God. I, I had vis- visions of like a flooded, my wife coming home to a flooded house and me standing there and while he's gone, I don't know what happened. Um... But anyway, so, John, thank you very much. You saved my life, my marriage, my house. I got a lot of towels, threw them all over the place, didn't care. Didn't care if they were dirty, clean, out of the hot press, towels, bath towels. There'd be no towels now in the house. No one would be able to have a bath. Uh, called a, f- a plumber guy I know, Miley, if you're listening, thank you very much. He was in the area, came out straight away. Probably thinks I'm an Egypt because he was like, okay. I think he, I think when I rang him, I was like, the house is flooded. By the time he got there, I'd kind of cleaned it up. And he wasn't, I'd say he was like, okay. Is this? And then it was fairly, it seemed like a fairly straightforward thing that he did. Like he took this valve off and said, here, you need a new one of these. Told me the shop to get it and how to put it back on. That was it. Fairly straightforward. But I could have flooded the house. Think about it. I mean, I wouldn't be I wouldn't be up here making a podcast. It's crazy. Speaking of podcasts, we are now on the Acast network. So thank you very much, Acast. And uh, for the first time, 
you might hear some ads. You might have heard an ad at the start of this. And uh yeah, that's it's a uh, it's it's I'm I wanted to join a network because I was on my own um putting up a podcast, I'd put them up on SoundCloud and then I'd have to also put them up on Spotify, or whatever. It was kinda laborious and now I just put them up on my Acast page once and that's it. Done. I might even get a few ads out of it. I might even get a sponsorship out of it. So and hopefully it'll help the podcast get a bit of exposure and coverage and uh, push us up the charts and get a few more listeners. That's that's what I would like. You never know, might make a few quid out of it. Crazier things have happened. So, um, without further ado, it's time for me to introduce my guest for the Thursday night, Friday morning podcast. Um, I just texted my son, be good, he's out. He's going up, he's going. He's staying out till half nine, and he's going up, up to the path. I don't even know where that is, but I said, Grant, be good, so hopefully we'll be good. I sure look at he's a good lad. Um... Okay, so our guest this evening is a fella I met. I put up a thing about, uh, it was a couple of years ago, but I had this idea for some leisure wear. It was um, like a, a hoodie for the gym. But the thing is, you wear the hoodie to the gym and you know when you get to the gym, uh, or wherever you're going to do a bit of exercise or whatever it is, but you forget your towel. And my idea was that the hood would be would be attached to the hoodie by Velcro or you know clip buttons, and you can take it off. And it be, it's 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 ta- it's made out of toweling, so your hood is effectively a towel. So that's your gym hoodie. That the hood comes off and becomes a towel when you forget your towel, so that you can still dry yourself down or dry the equipment or whatever and I was going to bring that on then to the sleeves the sleeves come off and you can or there's like a big pocket on the front that becomes a little towel so that was it was like a, a normal cotton hoodie body and then the rest was all towel that you could just take off and use the towel that's my idea I have a patented don't rob it but if you're interested in getting you know getting involved and uh, making it with me give me a shout you can email the show uh, Keith Walsh pod at gmail.com but anyway I digress so I put that up on Twitter and uh, somebody said that I don't know if they said Niall would be interested or they put me in touch with his company which is 12s and he explains about 12s and the company and how it, how it started um, I did mention in, in the chat that he his company are kind of responsible for the fact that most footballers now wear the ankle I think they all do wear ankle socks and he was the first person to bring them into the country in the county colours and that's where 12's the sports brand came from you might have seen it um, but now they do all sorts as he will explain um, but anyway somebody put me in touch with him and I got chatting to him and then we met up and he he was going to sort of come up with a design and stuff like that and we never, we never really did the hoodie thing but we got to know each other and he was at one point we were talking about maybe doing a podcast for his brand uh, which might still happen uh it'd be cool if it did um and yeah i got to know him we chat we met for coffee a few times and talked about stuff and he told me a little bit about himself um and i suppose i'm not 
uh, I'm not the biggest Gaelic football fan in that like I follow Kildare and keep an eye out for Westmead maybe uh, I and Kerry where my granddad is from and Hurling is my thing mostly but I didn't really know Niall he's a fantastic footballer I saw him recently um, actually it was the game they had yeah, they had didn't hadn't had a game that weekend when we chatted. It was the weekend before that they played Kildare, and uh, I thought he was outstanding. He's, he's a lovely footballer, and but uh, yeah, he's 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 brilliant, and he plays for Road as well in Offaly, and he's sure he's only young. He's only thirty five, still years to go yet. Um, but yeah, uh, I just found him fascinating when I met him, the couple of times. And when I started the podcast, and because we talked about doing a podcast as well, I thought I'd have to get him on to chat to him. And uh, it was very good for me to talk to him because I think I would have sort of just been starting therapy and getting to know myself better. And he had kind of been through a lot with gambling and sorting all that out. Um, and sort of learning to fall in love with playing football again and sport and building his business he's a lot going on um, and I just knew it would be a good chat and people might take a lot from it as far as I know the 12s is called 12s because of the 12 step program um, he is a very nice fella very nice to talk to uh, very driven without being in your face about it and he was very kind to give me some of his time and talk to me about being a footballer this year um, in the time of COVID. And yeah, then we got talking about his gambling, how that manifested itself, how he got better. Um, and life ever since. Really good chat. Really enjoyed it. I hope you do. hope you do too. <laughs> hope you do too. <laughs> oh, smooth. Um, and as always, if you want to comment or get in touch, uh, the email address is Keith Walsh Pod, Keith Walsh Pod at gmail.com. It's almost as if I forgot my own email address. And I will come back after this with some emails I've gotten already from the OGs. So the OGs are the people who've, who are the original listeners who have been listening from the start or who have listened in 2020. Send me an email. As I said, KeithWalshPod at gmail.com. Say, I am an OG, Keith. I've been listening, especially if you're listening in 2020. And I'll put you down on the list of OGs. And we'll have an OG party at some stage. Um, but I will read out some of the emails I've gotten from some OGs after this talk with footballer, businessman, all round a nice guy, Niall McNamee. It is episode 31 of the Keith Walsh podcast. Enjoy. Enjoy. How's things anyway? How are you? Are you are you, uh, are you relaxing after the the end of a long season? Uh, yeah, good actually. Well, I tell you, it was actually um, it's uh, this this lockdown because we were allowed to play the sport. Football was was great because we could train Tuesday nights and Thursday nights and games to the weekend. So you were sort of um, you were sort of looking forward then to getting out of the house and going outside the five kilometers. So since it's finished, I I didn't actually realise how lucky we were because we were able to do it. It's only since we finished since I went. Oh Jesus, you know what? We can't really go anywhere. So it's uh, 
it's been a bit of a, a bit of a, a bit of a what you call it, a bit of a eye opener, I suppose. But I look at it, it's uh, it's no harm. It's been a long year as well with a lot of stuff, so it's no harm having a bit of a break now leading into the Christmas. But it's just uh, the lockdown now was a little bit trickier this time around, I think. How did Road get on this year? Oh, we won the championship. And who did you play in Leinster? No, there was no Leinster this year. That's why it was it was done ah. because all the clubs, yeah, all the club championships were finished. We were actually lucky because our county final was on in the fourth of October, I think, and then the government brought in the that all this or the GA brought in that all sport was cancelled from the next day, the Monday. So we were we were lucky just to get it over the line, like so. That was on the fourth, and then the club or the county started two weeks after that. Then so. There's no club championship. There was talk that it might be on in January or February when everything kicks off again. But I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be too hopeful. And it's going to carry on. It's actually no harm. It was a nice way to finish the year. That you, you know, it, it, sometimes when you win your club championship and then you go into Leinster, you're on a high after winning your club. And then if you don't win out the Leinster, the year kind of finishes on a bit of a downer. After it being a successful year, it kind of has a little bit of a downer on it. So, in one sense, it was nice just to have it won and then just enjoy it a few days and leave it at that. Then, yeah, good. Jesus, how many of you won with Road now? Eleven. Holy this shit! Year was the, yeah, this year was the eleventh. So my brother Alan, he has he won twelve. Twelve is the record in office at the minute. So he won twelve there this year. So thirty. That's... What is he? Thirty-eight is he? He go again. He, is, he will. Yeah, I think. I think a lot of people are probably because this year the way it all went, with everything being a bit scattered, I'd imagine anyone who was involved this year who was thinking this might be my last year or will I play again, will definitely go back next year because it just didn't really feel like he got a full crack at it. Like It's funny, I see Mickey Hart retired last year or last week from from uh, Tyrone and he was kind of saying that, that he, he this was meant to be his last year but he kind of felt he didn't get a really good crack at it so he'd love another year at it. So uh, you'd imagine everybody's kind of thinking the same. So no, he said he's going to go at it again next year. So we'll see as long as the body holds up. That's the main thing. Great. And where are you? Are you with Offaly? You're still, you're, you'll still go back next year anyway, will you? Yeah, I think the same as well. Yeah, I think just because this year wasn't really a full whack. And I, I got a concussion last September and I struggled with that now probably up until, well, it's actually okay probably the last two months. But even this year playing, it needed to be minded a lot. If I found if I trained, say, consecutively for close together, I'd find I was in a bad way for a few days after it. So I kind of had to manage it as best I could. So it's only in the last probably six weeks, two months maybe, that I'm starting to feel myself again. So because of that I didn't really get a full crack at off with this year either in terms of the league at the start of the year and then obviously with the way COVID was for the latter part of the year so yeah I think I'll go at it again next year I've spoke to a lot of guys now who've played for a long number of years and most of them will say stay going as long as you're able because you'll, you'll miss it when you're not able to play it anymore so uh, as a I'm, I'm sort of a blow-in but I'm still I'm here I'm in Kildare longer than I was in Westmead or Longford but uh so I suppose I call myself a Kildare supporter. You saw Kildare up close uh, a week before they played Mead. Have you yeah, any? Have you any idea what the hell happened in the second half against Mead? Because everybody yeah. is scratching their heads. I don't expect. Yeah, it's to mad. Expect you to. Yeah, it's mad. Like because uh, I suppose we would have played them. They beat us by four points, so we scored sixteen points off them. Mm. Um. How many did you and, score? No. Oh, not that many. Three, I think. Three points, I think. Oh. But, uh, yeah. You uh, seemed all over that. You seemed, we, you seemed to be playing very well, I noticed. Ah, I was going okay. I was going okay, yeah. Yeah, but... Uh, I to, like, get the county is a different game. Like, you're... you're, you're uh, it's just teams kind of set up a little bit differently and you probably haven't got the same other room as you get with club and stuff like that. And uh, a lot of the time, sometimes you can really do better 
by staying out of the way. A lot of the time, anyway, down through the years, you'll probably get the best man marker or one of the best defenders. Uh, and generally, if you're getting that much, att- much attention, sometimes you're nearly better off sometimes just not getting involved in play because you might bring two or three players with you out of, out of say, the defensive setup. I mean, yeah, but it kind of leave a bit more space for other guys. And um, But anyway, uh, no, I just thought uh, like they played very well against me in the first half. Uh, I don't know what the weather was like, so I presume Crow Park, it's tricky to see, but I'd imagine they had the wind in the first half just by looking at it. And then... I actually thought they were going to be very comfortable in the second half. It's just, it's amazing when a team gets a goal. Like, if you're playing against or playing with a wind, like, which me would have been in the second half, you're three or four, three or four minutes into the half. All Calair probably needed to do was keep it tight enough for 10 minutes, not concede a goal. If they conceded a point or two, you're still back to five points, four points, because they know they kicked a point or two themselves. Uh, if you keep it at six points with 25 minutes to go, 20 minutes to go, you're saying, yeah, you know what, now we're pretty comfortable here. We can maybe manage the game a bit better, but when you can see two goals straight away like from being six points up to being a point down within six or seven minutes like mentally everything that you've probably planned at half time is out the window in terms of control in the game and um, I suppose the team obviously gets a bit of belief from it then as well from a me perspective and then they're able to push on but they're not a bad side as well they're probably they're playing in Division 1 this year I know they got relegated but I remember we played we got to the Leicester final in 2006 and we would have played in Division 1 that year and got relegated played in Division 1 2005 and 2006 and we got relegated in 06 and obviously you're disappointed by getting relegated. But we'd been playing Tyrone, who are Ireland champions, Dublin, Kerry, uh, Monaghan, I think, Fermanagh, Cork, Mayo, they were all in our group. So like while you were getting beaten, you were learning every week and you were playing against the best opposition. So I think me kind of benefited from that this year that, yeah, okay, they, they'd, they lost, they got relegated, but um, like it would have set them up well now for a good run at the championship. Like So while... I was surprised that they scored five goals. I wasn't overly surprised that they won, but I thought it would have been a bit closer. But these things happen. Like sometimes a game just gets away from you. Like and as well this year, there's no back door, so like Claire don't even have a chance now. To, <laughs> that's the that's the the trouble that you don't have a chance to go out and correct it straight away. I know I was speaking to Shane Lowry before about this, or his father about it. He was saying like if Shane plays bad in a golf tournament, say one weekend, well he's another tournament straight away the following weekend. He can correct it straight away. Whereas if it's knockout, you're gone, and you have to kind of sit the whole winter out trying to over what happened and try to fix it then for next year so it's a difficult one you seem uh, just chatting to you now you seem very relaxed how would you compare your relationship with sport and the county and the club compared to say you I don't know maybe 10 years ago as a younger man what's mm. what's changed I mean yeah, I, I know think, a lot I know a lot has changed but yeah I think perspective on it is a big thing as well like don't get me wrong I, I'd be um like I'm not a good loser, <laughs> so like when we lose games, I, I, for years anyway, it's not as bad now. But even like the Kildare game as an example, uh, like it was into the dressing room, chat to a few of the lads, say goodbye to everyone, and shake hands with everyone, and out the door, and I'm driving home, and it was in Port Lee, so we all had to drive on our own. I'm driving on the road for 45 minutes, like and the form isn't good. There's no point saying otherwise, um, and the same probably for most of the day on Monday. But then I park it. Uh, so other years I could live in that for a couple of weeks and feel sorry for myself and bring everybody around me down along with me uh, whereas now I'd be much more aware of okay yeah this is disappointing you put a lot of effort into something it doesn't work out the way you imagined or the way you hoped it would work out but then it's more or less a case of saying Do you know what this isn't the end of the world it's uh, I also would have put a lot of emphasis on myself as being just a football player for years ago so if that didn't work out and that didn't go the way I wanted it to, well, then everything else in my life would fall apart, fall apart as well because I didn't really see myself as being anything else. Whereas now I would have a lot of a better understanding, I suppose, of who I am. And if 
a game doesn't go well, okay, that's it's not it's not nice. You don't want it to happen, but at the same t- same time, there's family, there's uh, fiance, there's relationships, there's work, there's friends, there's lots of different things outside of just the sport that I can focus on and put my time into that need my time and attention as well. So I can't, they all can't suffer just because I didn't win a game of football. So. Um, I suppose that's a huge part of it. I just kind of got a little bit more mature, maybe in that sense. As I say, not a good loser, so like it does wear on me. Like, and uh, I suppose I'd be the type of person over the years who often likes to control certain situations. So if something isn't working out, I can get quite um, not as again work very very hard on this, but I could get very um, caught up in trying to control certain things or trying to control other people within a squad or not control them, but to kind of advise them or think do they need this type of advice or do they need this help and that help. But oftentimes I'm actually at my best when I just concentrate on myself and look after my own side of things. Once I arrive at training or a game in good form and ready to go, well, that's really all I can do when everybody else has, I mean, has to, you have to trust that everybody else does the same thing. So again, it's just with a bit of experience and a bit of learning over the years. Um, and I suppose, as I say, letting go and not trying to control the outcomes as much as what I used to. And then, accepting it if it doesn't go your way you just have to accept it and get on with it and uh, I suppose be as positive as you can because the one thing I have found as well is I used to put a lot of emphasis on winning and once I won something then I'd be happy and that would give me an excuse to be happy or actually I could wake up on a Tuesday morning and just decide okay I'm going to be happy today like and you know as opposed to living in that oh Jesus this is terrible I'm going to feel like this for another week or I feel I have to be like this because other people are disappointed or x y and z but now it's more or less a case of going, do you know what happened? Move on because the year's going to flow into the next. If we win, it's great, but it, it's only transient. It'll last for a couple of days or a week or two and then it'll all be over and it'll start all over again and you're back into the same process. So I suppose uh, that's a long-winded way of saying I try not to take it too seriously. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good way of saying How did you, what was the process of removing yourself, like realising that football wasn't your identity, like wasn't your only because a lot of men would attach, like with most men, I know it's, it's different for sportsmen, but with, with most men, it's their job. Do you know what I mean? It's their livelihood. It's how they make their living. And if that's not going well, that's who they are. How did you, uh, I think it would be helpful to, for other men to, and women uh, to hear from you how you managed to extricate yourself from that and, and realize that you were other things than just a sportsman, just a footballer. Was that was that a process? Was that a did you wake up and have a light bulb moment? Um, I think it was definitely a process. Obviously, for anyone who doesn't know, like this was the I was in for I went into a treatment center for gambling. Maybe what oh, you what? It's actually it's funny. What is the twenty the twentieth of November? I went into the twenty third of November actually in two thousand eleven. So it's almost nine years to the day. Um, and I suppose that was a massive experience in terms of getting to learn about myself and in terms of my behaviours and why I behaved in a certain way and. Uh, I suppose that would have been the biggest eye opener for me. So I would often take gambling, which as an addiction, I would have found okay, I'm I'm gambling here, and I suppose the reason I'm doing it is because I'm in financial difficulty, or I've lost money, and I'm chasing it, or I'm chasing the buzz of maybe getting a dressing room before a big game, or I'm in bad form. I don't want to feel like I'm in bad form, so I'll go into a bookies for a couple of hours, and that'll get rid of the feeling. Um, but and I suppose that was all that was all true, but. I suppose once I start going deeper and doing a little bit of work on myself through treatment and through recovery and I suppose through aftercare and things like that, I just kind of started to figure out and understand myself and understand my process of, you know, who I actually was and I suppose why I would get so upset over something. And a lot of it was ego-based. So I felt if I didn't win, 
um, I was no good in terms of everything else in my life. I had no real value. Um, I suppose that was just a big eye-opener then to, I suppose, make things a little bit more simple in life that, uh, i just tell a short, <laughs> a small story, like about three months after I left treatment, a friend of mine texted me one Saturday night and said, do you want to come to the cinema? I mean, a few lads are going to watch a James Bond film, James Bond film. And like, I wouldn't watch a James Bond film from one end of the year to the next. Like, but I said, why not? I was off to gambling. I was back in work. Um, I was obviously had a bit more money because I was, I was in gambling every day. Um, and usually if my friends would ask me something like that, which they could have been doing for years before that, I just hadn't been hearing it or hadn't been going with them. But this one, I said, yeah, look, I'll go. And I remember going at about 20 euros in my pocket, went down to the cinema, bought me tickets, bought a bit of popcorn, some a drink or whatever, sat down, watched the film for an hour and three quarters, got a lift home, one of the lads. I remember going to bed that night, it was a Saturday night, put my head in the pillow and going, geez, you know what? That was just brilliant. Spent about three hours with the lads, bit of crack, bit of laugh, bit of a laugh, bit of a joke. And that's just as important as being on time for training or, you know, winning a game of football. And I used to take all of those other things for granted. It was always about, you know, the high achievement. And um, I suppose if I win this trophy, I'll be happy. Or if I win an All-Star, I'd be happy. Or if I win the championship, I'd be happy. And I would be happy, but I'd be happy for two or three days. And then that feeling would go away. And then all I was left with was me. And I wasn't very happy with the person I was left with, you know, because I was, as I say, I was gambling a lot. Uh, with that then comes a lot of lies comes a lot of anger resentment towards myself towards other people uh, you know impatience all these things that are I suppose ugly traits in people I would have had and the sport and the winning would have masked over those things for a couple of days or a couple of weeks if it was going well for, over a period of time but ultimately when that finished as I say all I was left with was me and if I wasn't comfortable with that person it was you know it was a struggle then for the next few weeks and months and I suppose that was a big eye-opener when I was in treatment. And because of that then, it made me, I suppose, direct my energy towards other aspects of my life and other pillars in my life that I feel are very important, like family, friends, um, obviously work then as well, which would have taken a very, very much a backseat. And this is a big issue with inter-county footballers that I have found over the last number of years is a lot of guys uh, will put their career on hold to play inter-county football. They won't work on their career because they see themselves as inter-county footballers and they want to do everything they can to be the best, which is great, but it shouldn't be to the detriment of their career um, away from the sport. And I suppose I, I started to look at that a lot more as well when I was around 25, 26, just around, okay, let's start building a career for myself as well here that um, I'm not going to be playing football forever. I need to have something that I enjoy when I stop playing football as well. And obviously it needs to work in around the sport and the training and stuff. So I kind of started putting a lot of work into that. Um, and I just found then I started getting my, I suppose, as I say, those pillars, they all started to kind of fall into place and um, got stronger and stronger. And that's why sport is a massive part of my life, but it's only one part. There's other little pillars that that, that are just as, as important that I work on every day as well. Um, and t- tell us about a little bit about the gambling. Like, was that, uh, was it, I presume it started off as a bit of, a bit of fun or... Like, I mean, were you, were you just, I mean, I, I remember going to school, like I was never into gambling at all. I have other problems, but, um, <laughs> <laughs> but I do remember like, and I think it, I don't know if it's a, I thought it was a Newbridge thing or a Kildare thing because I came from Athlone. I moved into, I moved, I went to school then in, in the patricians in, um, in Newbridge. And I remember a lad in fifth year running a book on the, on, I don't know what it was, Cheltenham or fucking, uh, 
it was probably the Derby or something. No, it can't have been the Derby because we would have been holidays. It might have been Cheltenham. And I was, I didn't actually understand what he was talking about, but there was this like 15 year old lad and he had a little notebook and he was, and lads were coming up to him, giving him money and he was taking names. I was going, I was just like, I don't know, I have no idea what the hell is going on over there. I don't want to be any part of it or whatever. So I yeah. just, I never, I never got into it. I can't, I actually, I'll tell you a story. And <laughs> when I was very young, I went to Mosny. It was Butlins or Mosny or whatever. We went for a weekend and I'd saved money for the weekend. And, and this will take you back. I'm, I'm a bit older than you, a little bit older than you. Yeah, small bit. Money's but, small bit. I, but I'd saved three pounds, right, for the weekend. And that was me three pounds that I'd saved. That was my spending money for me weekend in, in Butlins with the family. <laughs> and we checked into the chalet and we were all kind of allowed to go off and do our own thing. And I went straight to the, to the slots machines, to the you know arcade and i discovered this yeah. i discovered this game with basically two peas on this uh it was like these you know the slider things you know and you put your two p in it slides in and then it drops and then slide and it knocks more two peas out whatever i don't know what it's called anyway I discovered this game and over the next half hour i put all of my three pounds into this machine walked out of there with nothing in the space of half an hour and i never felt like I st- that feeling is still with me to this day. Like it was a great lesson. It was a terrible lesson. It ruined the whole weekend for me. Like I remember my dad at one point, I wanted to go with the rest of my sisters to go to the circus, but it was a pound and he was going, but sure you spent all your money. You know, it ruined the whole weekend for me. I felt bad. I felt guilty. I couldn't get any more money to do anything else that I wanted to do. You know, and, and it just, I, I, I really look back at that and think, geez, man, that was a great lesson to get at such a young age. How did yeah, it, how did, how did you get into it or how did it become a thing? It's funny as you're talking, I'm listening, like there's a, I know exactly what you're talking about. I know the machines you're talking about. But I'm thinking if that was me, I would have found three pounds somewhere else. I would have went back to try and win back three pounds that I'd lost. Um, but I suppose I would have started, uh, but the same thing, my first earliest memories would have been those machines. I remember being, uh, we went on holidays, I think, to La Hinch. Um, Ballybunion as well I think they would have had them down there and I remember standing there one day it was it was the same thing it could have been 20p I think to put into these machines but in one of them there was like a there was a crate in it with not a crate but it was like a little plastic box with a 10 pound note in it uh, another one had a watch in it and I was like oh fuck, I'm staying here till I get this watch like so I was banging in 20 cents but anyway we started um, we started or the bookies opened up in road where I'm from when uh, I was about 15 or 16 I'd say and again, I had no interest really. I went to the races with my parents when I was maybe nine or ten. Just used to go to the Tobago races were on once a year. We used to go over just for just for one day, and uh, that was my earliest memory of ever seeing horse racing. And um, I should I should say for people that don't know, like road. I used to drive through road from. I used to go the back roads from Newbridge to Athlone, hmm. and road is literally you could miss it. It's a big townland, but the actual village. It's a petrol station. I think there's two pubs. Is there three? Three pubs, yeah. We take good pride in our pubs. Wow. Three pubs, a petrol <laughs> station. There's not, I was just going, is there even three buildings there? Yeah, honest to God, yeah. There's a chipper. Oh, there's, there. there's a chipper, yeah, there's, isn't there? Yeah, there's a chipper there. There's a Chinese there now as well. There's a, there, uh, yeah, mightn't have been in a while now. There's a, there's a chemist. There's a hairdresser's. Uh, the school barbers. is there. The school is there. The school is there. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, a, but it's, only, it's, yeah, it's, it's a crossroads. Crossroad, it's a crossroads, really, isn't yeah. it? And, and, uh, yeah, it is, yeah. So, yeah, so the yeah, book so, the bookies opened up. Yeah, and I used to work on one of the pubs. So, so you probably see the village when, when you be going through the village. There's two pubs in the corner, but there's actually one down heading towards Eden Derry. There's another one just down there on the right. And I used to work at that pub, and um, 
when the book is obviously open, I'd see guys in their in their I don't know, probably mid thirties at the time, early forties, and they'd be in having a bit of lunch or having a few drinks on a Saturday, and they'd be placing their bets, or they'd get one guy would go up to the bookies with all the bets. Basically, he everyone hand him the money, he'd go up on the bet, and the boys would watch the race, and then in the pub or whatever. And um, sometimes one of the lads in the pub would be the bookie, so he'd be there taking the bets off the lads, and he'd be uh, they'd be paying him or whatever. And it just seemed like savage crack. I was just looking at this, going, "Fuck, this looks unbelievable." I want to, I want to be a part of this, like. Uh, and I used to. Uh, then a few weeks later, a few months later, I used to put aside like fifty euros. Um, what I would have been seventeen, probably at the time, would have been in college. Starting UCD, I was getting a grant. I was working part time. I think I was on a sports scholarship as well. So like, I had a few bob to play around with. So I used to put aside fifty euros on a Saturday and say, "Right, I'm going to go to the bookies with the money and blah blah blah, and see how I get on." Um, like most people that I've spoken to who have who have um, gone down this road, would say in the early days that they would win. Uh, they'd have a few bets, and like the the biggest thing they would have found that they would have won early, and it would have kind of planted a seed in their head. Do you know what? This is this is a bit of crack, and I would have found that we used to always go with fifty euros, and more often than not, I come out with maybe eighty euros or seventy euros or say eighty five. Small enough money, as opposed to over what I'd won, but. It was nearly always the first few weekends, definitely, that, you know what, I won more, more than I lost here. And it kind of gradually grew from there that it was just a bit of a, a, bit of a pastime of a Saturday until eventually it was Saturday, Sunday. And I suppose over a short period of time, over a very short number of years, months even, but then years, it turned into seven days a week where I just could not, I couldn't go a day without thinking about it. If I had money, without putting on a bet, um, bringing people, bringing banks, borrowing money, chasing money, uh, Every pay for paycheck on a Friday was basically went straight to a bookies on a Friday, whether sometimes I'd win and it would last me maybe for a week or two weeks. Other times then I'd come back off my lunch break on a Friday and everything would be gone. Um, it's a really horrible existence. Like there's no point saying anything else. It's a, it's a low place to go to. And um, it's, a, I suppose a lot of people, you, when you mentioned your thing about putting the, the five, five P into the machine or whatever, or two P even, um, I remember a friend, the guy who I was in treatment with, he was he was in there for alcohol and I was telling him about my gambling and he said, jeez, I'd never be able to do that. Like, I was going, what do you mean? He was like, a tenner to me like is three pints. I'd never put a tenner on, on, on a heart. Like, so some people can get it, can understand it. Other people just, they just can't fathom how someone would keep going back. Um, and so that's how it would have started for me. As I say, it would have been kind of a recreational thing on a Saturday. Um, and it was a lot of fun. We great crack, like don't get me wrong, in there, looking at the race and chatting, laughing and joking, celebrating, obviously, if you won. Um, and a big thing as well, is, I was only thinking of this yesterday, actually, and even this morning. A big part of me when I was younger was I always wanted to grow older, grow up quicker, if that makes sense. Even playing football, like I, I played in a senior county final with, with Road when I was 15. Come on a sub when I was 15 in the county final. I made my debut with Offaly when I was 17. I always wanted to, I always wanted to be older than what I actually was for some, whatever reason. And even with the bookies at the gambling, I was always hanging around with guys that were a lot older than me and I seen them with big wads of money and I was looking at God, jeez, I want that. Like, that's what I want. Um, and gambling to me at the time seemed to be the way that I could do that um, because, as I say, I could win money a lot. Um, I was pretty decent at picking winners. It's just once I started then and once I got addicted to it, I couldn't stop. It was every race, one after the other, after the other. Like, I would not stop until the bookies either closed or I had to leave or I had no money left. That was the only reason I'd stop. I just couldn't, I couldn't stop myself. Um and I suppose that's kind of, I suppose that's where it initially started and it went from there then. Jesus, even hearing you talking about it is, is giving me a, I feel stressed, you know? <laughs> yeah. Do you, I know, I know. Or do you find it difficult to talk about it? 
no, I don't at all, actually. Um, and the big thing, so I, I get invited into some schools and businesses and stuff to talk about it sometimes. And the general overriding feeling from people after is, geez, you're so brave to talk about that. And thanks so much for sharing it. And um, what they don't actually realize is it really helps me talking about it. Um, and this is why the fellowship and as well as Gamblers Anonymous and things like that are so helpful because um, when you hear somebody new coming in, talking about their experiences. So as I say, I'm nearly nine years, I'm nine years free actually, 13th of November was my last bet. And sometimes you can forget what it was like, uh, the hardship that it caused. And um, sometimes you can think about, geez, there's some great days, we great days here, the great days there. That can, that can take you over. And then all of a sudden you go, actually, no, that's fine. But remember these, the bad days. So when you're in those meetings and you hear somebody coming in that's new off the street and uh, you know they're in, right in the middle of it and you know their family's suffering and they're obviously in financial difficulty like it really brings it home so when I share this type of stuff it just reminds me of what it was like when I was um, of, I suppose when I was when I was in action so it's it's good it's a good reminder it, it, I suppose it makes me grateful then as well for I suppose where I'm at today in terms of uh, all the stuff that w- would work and sorry oh, Charlie's, yeah, Charlie's barking Charlie go on Charlie <laughs> it's the only thing me and Charlie in the gaff and if someone comes to the door Charlie's Charlie's he goes one. bananas yeah he goes bananas well actually we only got a dog me and Laura got a dog here about four or five weeks ago as well so it's like uh, it would have been easier to have a child I think yeah. <laughs> but you don't realise I think it's the men and I, and I, I think it's the men that end up I mean oh, be careful he, be I, careful I hang around with him <laughs> I hang around him more than anybody. Like he's, he's, I, yeah. I fought, I fell in love with him. Like I was reluctant to get the dog. Yeah. And if you ask anybody now, I'm the, he, you know, yeah. he's my, I'm, Sorry. I fell in love with him more than anybody else. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's, it's happened here as well. I think we actually, uh, Nora said here one day, I, was, I don't know where I was going playing golf. I think a few weeks ago, she texted me when I was going playing golf, going playing golf. She said, uh, I think I'm going to get a dog. And I said, yeah, grand thinking like she says it before, it's not going to happen. And then the next day she arrived home with the dog and, uh, it's been, um, but like I, I work for myself, so I'm self-employed. So uh, she's working from home at the minute, and like she could be on conference calls, she could be whatever tied up for the day, like from eight to five. And uh, so it's just me, me and him in the car now. I bring him off for the day for a drive, go for a bit of a walk, and I'm able to go in to get up a few orders and stuff like that. And he's there floating around. It's great crack. I'm loving it now. Loving it. It's good to have so, a little pal. Yeah, yeah. yeah me, exactly. and Char- me and Charlie have our daily walks, you know. Um, but you were saying that. Uh, you were saying about um, I'm trying to remember where we where we were at. Oh yeah, Gamblers Anonymous. So you so when you see someone coming in, it reminds you of you know where how bad it was. You know because mm. sometimes you can just think of the good times you had. Was mm. there like how bad did it get? And did like did it take for someone else to come up to you and say this has to stop? Or had people have been saying it to you? Or because I know from what from the little I know of it, like people would basically if someone was disagree. If someone had a problem with their gambling or tried to speak to them, you basically stop hanging around with them. Yeah, yeah. So that's again a lot of the time. It's one of those addictions where there's very little physical signs um, in terms of how someone might look. Now, it would be affecting somebody mentally, and like it would be having a massive impact on somebody. But I suppose physically, you're able to hide it. So it's not as if you're drunk and you're, you know, what I mean, you can smell it on your breath, or you're taking drugs and you're gone a bit gaunt or whatever. Um, so there is that side of it where it can be quite hidden very very easily um and because of that most people generally don't come forward looking for help until it really gets the crisis point where either they're in serious financial trouble or they're worried fearing for their own life that they might do something to themselves or um 
as I said, there could be the financial thing or the walls could be closing in around them in terms of they might just be about to be found out by somebody. Um, and that was probably the case for me in that I would have, um, like I, I knew probably gee, what two or three years before I stopped gambling that I had a massive problem with it. Um, I would see probably some of my friends coming into the bookies once a month, once every six months, once a year, having a bet, having a bit quick chat and then walking out. And I could not get my head around it. I'm looking at them going, how are they able to have one bet and walk out and come in and collect their money and walk out? Because I just couldn't stop. Once I had one bet, I was gone. That was it. Um, so I just thought there was something wrong with me. I honestly genuinely thought I was the only person in the world who had this problem. Like, um, And so for me then to actually share that with somebody was very difficult because I thought there was actually something wrong with me. I said, there's actually, there's no way anyone will be able to understand this. There's nowhere I can go for help for this. I just can't stop. Um, but I've been borrowing money off people. Like I could, on a whim, so I knew if, if I knew you back then, Keith, right? Even like for met you maybe three or four times, and I drew a number, and I'd gone on a gambling binge for a day and lost all my money, my week's wages, and I owed whatever twenty grand to whatever amount of people. I would not, I would not, um, for a second thought, I put a second thought to texting you at like ten o'clock on a Saturday night looking for a loan of like five hundred euro or something, just because in my own mind. I'd rationalise it in my own mind that I'm going to get that money off him tomorrow morning, which is a Sunday. I'll go to the bookies and I'll win. I'll win maybe five grand. I'll give him back his 500 euro and I can now use that four and a half grand to either gamble more or to pay off people who I've given money to already. So because of that, I've been borrowing money off people or asking people close to me for money or friends or whatever. Um, and like where I'm from is a small place. So everyone would kind of be saying, look, this isn't really normal behaviour. And and they eventually were, my parents would have known there was something wrong. And I think they always kind of knew it was gambling, but and it would have asked me about it. But I always would have just said, no, everyone's fine. Or, or else went the other way and said, fucking leave me alone. Stop annoying me and slam the door and not, not just not spoke about it. And then would ignore them for a day or two until I came back. And then they just didn't want the hassle of actually asking me again. So they just leave it be for another six months or whatever. Um, but anyway, it came to a point where my father just called down to the house one night and said, look, what's happening here? Um and I'd been borrowing money from people that was in a lot of debt, uh, really struggling. Like, and um, even at that, though, it still took me half an hour to actually say, yeah, OK, um, there's a problem here. And when I did it, and this is probably one of the biggest messages I often try to get out to people is uh, like it's it was my big secret for whatever at the time, four years, probably three, four or five years even. And I was carrying it and it was such a weight and a burden. And when I actually opened my mouth and admitted it, the relief that I felt was something that it's just indescribable. Only somebody who's gone through it and has done that can actually, whatever the the whatever the issue might have been, can identify with it. It's like it's even as I'm speaking now, I can feel the weight lifting. Like it was incredible, um, and that was probably the message. That's the message I like to get across to people as best they can. That whatever their big secret is, or whatever it is that they really feel like they want to get off their chest, but they're afraid to do it. I'd say I'd recommend doing it because there's nothing like the feeling. But then I suppose from that, from me saying that and admitting it to my father, from there then we did a lot of really positive things straight away to make sure that it wasn't going to happen again. So that was the biggest thing. So I was very honest with him. And from that then on a Monday night, that was a Monday night, the very next day I met an addiction counsellor who he'd organised for me to meet. I went to my first Gamblers Anonymous meeting that night. I went for an assessment in the treatment centre on the Friday and then I went in for treatment then on the following Wednesday. And um, I've never looked back really. I really just took everything on board, what I was told and from the treatment point of view, um, from the recovery point of view, I just got stuck into it. Like um, within, I'd say a week, two weeks of being in treatment, I started to feel like myself again. 
because um, I, I, I put up so many walls with people like I just wasn't able to be open and genuine with somebody and I was so filled with fear just in day-to-day life of actually not around being caught with the gambling just in general in general conversations or going into a social setting I just was I found it so difficult to interact with people and to actually show the real me if that makes sense I was always putting up this uh, facade of who I actually thought I was or I'd walk in here and Jesus, I'm a footballer or I, I, I might go in after a game and I'd be fine because I might have played well and we lads would be chatting saying well done and I was comfortable in that type of an environment but always in the back of my mind I'm looking and saying Jesus is someone going to walk in the door here why you owe money to and then you're talking to them and there's always that bit of conflict between the two of you because he knows you owe money and you know and yet you're still trying to act normal and oh man it was just horrible existence like um, and then I've had some great days in recovery where I've met those people and apologised to them and paid them back their money and uh, like that's a tough thing to do as well because you have to face into the shame of what you did and apologise to them and you're not expecting you don't know what their reaction is going to be are they going to say you're a dickhead I don't want I don't want your money or thanks for your money but fucking like you're you know what I mean what you did was wrong and I don't want to talk to you again now I was lucky nearly everybody that I spoke to and apologised to were very welcome and said look really appreciate it uh, fair play to you for getting yourself back on track but that might have been the case and I had to be ready then I had to be strong enough within myself then and that's where the beatings come in and the fellowship and people who are in recovery and friends that I can lean on to say she's actually this is a bad experience he didn't take the money back or he did take it back but he was he isn't happy or whatever so all these things had to be learned I suppose and as I say I just threw myself into it and um, it's been uh, yeah, it's been good. Like even as I'm talking now, like I haven't probably opened up this way much in the last couple of months, really, as well. And I do forget it. Like I do forget those days sometimes. And uh, like it was real eye opener. I remember one guy actually, I stole money from him. Um, I used to work. I used to work for him, and it was only it was no. Hear me minimizing already. I was just going to say it was only a small bit of money, but it was like, but like it wasn't fucking mine. Like what I used to do, there was petty cash in the office, and I used to dip in and out of it. And I take the money and I go to the bookies, and more often than not, I'd win or I'd come back with the amount of money that I borrowed, borrowed, stole basically, and uh, I'd replace it. But one weekend, I didn't have it to replace it, and I lost my wages. And anyway, they found out that I took it. Didn't find out I took it. The scene, the money was gone, but they never asked who. They never asked me about it, even though they knew it was me. And we had this kind of. I'd meet him the odd time over the years, and he could be on one side of the street, I'd be the other, and you'd kind of wave. But he knew, and I knew, and yet we were never able to say it. But about six months after I was in recovery and I rang him or texted him one day and met up with him and gave him back the money that, I, that I'd taken. And uh, like it was the right thing to do, but I was nowhere near ready for it in terms of the how I felt after it. I felt so low after it in terms of it brought me right back to what I'd done. And, uh, you know, I just felt shit and I went, fuck it. But I remember going to a meeting then the next day and talking about it and everyone there that was saying longer recovery than me was saying, look, what you're doing is brilliant. It's the right thing to do, but maybe this time you just did it a little bit too soon. You might have needed maybe another couple of months behind you in terms of strength, in terms of recovery. Because as, as mad as it might sound, when that feeling of shame or guilt came up within me, my automatic response to that in life was, I'm going to the bookies. I don't want to feel like this. I want to numb this feeling. So I'm actually doing the right thing by giving him back the money. It actually nearly was detrimental that it would have actually maybe sent me back, which sounds completely bonkers, but it's actually... That was my medicine. That was my way of numbing how I was feeling. So um, I suppose that, again, is that awareness around your feelings and why I would go to a bookies. And that was 
you know, they're just, they're just the things you learn when you're in recovery and you learn more about yourself and how you react in certain situations and certain triggers that are there and just to be aware of them and have that network of people then that you can bounce things off when you are feeling a little bit vulnerable, I suppose. Yeah, I could feel that, like, it's, I mean, it's a very emotional thing, but even that sense, I could feel the sense of relief you had telling your dad and, and like, there's, there's, there's a message in that, in that very often people are just carrying, it's, you know, it mightn't be gambling, it mightn't be drinking, it might be just, I can't, you know, handle, I can't handle this life, you know, because, because some people have, just have a difficulty day to day, you know, um, and and there's a real, like there's a real thing in that of of, of admitting to somebody I'm fucking struggling here, you know, with whatever it is, like you know, um, with your mental health, with your job, with gambling, with drinking, you know, there's 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 plenty of reasons to be struggling, but but I could, you know, if you could, you know, there's, there's a there, and I know you're very good with going around and talking to people about it, and you know, and 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 there's more and more of that, which is great, and I think you were probably one of the first sports people in the country to do it so you have to be commended for that but but it's that very pointed talk to somebody and but the thing is talk to somebody but tell them what the problem is do you know what i mean and then it's it's the swift action after that you know you got straight down to it and it sounds like you were ready for the work you know you were like okay once i've admitted this now i'm i'm done you know i'm ready i i you know, I never want to go back. I'm going to do whatever. Like, almost like your sports, your competitive. You know, your competitiveness almost kicked in, yeah. but but you had to admit it. For but also, you didn't really know that there was help. Like, you didn't really know that you, as you said, you felt I'm the only person. I'm on my own here. It's not like there's any kind of I can turn around and say this. So they're not going to be able to help me. Like I'm like this for the rest of my life. You know, there's that feeling as well. But um, but there's yeah there's some serious lessons to be learned in in how yeah, you, in I just did. just how you felt by saying it you know yeah even when you say I remember going to the assessment on the Friday in the treatment center and um, I it, it just had the uh, beating the shit out of me that's all I could say and I remember going into the assessment and the lady that was there Mary Lacey was her name she she was asking me and she was asking me a few questions and like the assessment basically is to make sure that you're ready to go in like they're not going to waste their time by bringing someone in there for five weeks if they don't feel that they're actually going to participate in the program like there's lots of people looking to get in and if someone's going to go in that's going to take a place of somebody else and they're not going to get benefit from it or they're not going to give their all like they're not going to accept them in and i never forget we're about five or ten minutes in and i was just kind of throwing out everything like as if i want to get in here like i want to get help no, I was terrified as well. Like I, did, like I didn't know what was, what was to face me and obviously a lot of things to deal with work and their family and everything else but um just halfway through she just goes you're ready for this aren't you and I said yeah yeah it's got to a point now where uh you know I have to have to get myself back on track because bear in mind as well as I mentioned earlier when I was younger from a sporting point of view anything I really wanted to achieve I was able to do it and probably a little bit sooner than um I should have and I was also going to grow up that little bit quicker and um I kind of lost that I was at 26 at that stage I think and life for probably the previous two or three years was more it was just a struggle like nothing really was happening I wasn't finding joy in anything else outside anything really it was just a sport more so if we won something I'd, I'd feel good for a couple of days but other than that there was no real joy in anything else and I'd lost complete um self-respect as well in terms of how I went about my daily ba- daily life like in terms of everything from how my car would look how my own appearance would be or little things like that I just had no real 
my diet, little things like that that you wouldn't really be putting a lot of time into. Um, it all kind of went out the window, and I just kind of just didn't really care, like to be honest. And and then I didn't know how to get out of it. That was the thing. Like I was going, "Fuck! I'm stuck here. Like how the hell am I going to get out of this?" Um, so yeah, so that, that was probably one of the the, the biggest chain, turning points for me in terms of getting support, getting the help. Um, and you mentioned as well about speaking to the right people, like the right the person you talk to or open up to. They might not have all the answers. Like so, my father wouldn't have a, wouldn't have a clue. Like I, I was telling him and he or about gambling or whatever. Like he had a clue. But he knew somebody who knew somebody who knew somebody who would have a clue. Do you know what I mean? So yeah. there, there is always going to be that chain of events that will kick off the positive things that need to be done then. And then I suppose it's a matter of me. Um, like ultimately, I have full responsibility for me. So the, I was given the direction, the the tools that I needed. And then basically you're on your own then. So how are you going to use these tools? Are you going to self-sabotage and go back to doing what you're always doing? Or are you actually going to buy into this now and do what you're been asked to do or doing what you're being advised to do and change your life and that will bring you on and a changed life to me or back then before I stopped gambling was I'm going to have a lovely car now I'm going to win loads of money and buy a massive house I'm going to go on like a 10 holidays a year but the actual good life for me was one of my friends texting me and saying you want to come to the cinema and we're going to watch the James Bond film and you're able to go there with your 20 euros come back with change go home to bed that night put your head in the pillow and go fuck I didn't gamble today I didn't uh, cheat anybody I didn't tell any lies you know what I mean I can go to bed a bit of peace of mind and you wake up then on the Sunday morning and you feel great and you're ready to go and you go and do whatever you have to do on the Sunday morning um, and all they're all little things that definitely for me anyway I took for granted um, I took for granted definitely when I was gambling and you could, but even as you say that because I, uh, I, I was a year going to see this my therapist and I think somebody at that point started said, like, you, you know, are you happy? You know, are you happy? Are you feeling happier now? And happy is a strange word, you know, um, because, I mean, you talk about feeling happy and it can be like, as you say, like after a match, if you win, that's that's a high. That's a that's a that's a rare high, you know, mm-hmm. um, but happiness. But I was able to say to them at that point, well, do you know what I feel, which is much more important than happy? I feel really content. Uh, and I think content is a better word to describe what what. As you say, like, you know, you do at a certain stage of your life want a big house and the holidays and, you know, whatever it is, you know, the yacht. Yeah. Don't don't think I ever wanted a yacht. You look well in a yacht. You look well in a yacht. Yeah, I think I would. I think I would. I'd wear all white. (laughs) I'd wear all white. Um, But then you realize that actually, you know, it's just contentment. That's the secret. That's the key. It's just feeling like and you're sitting in your own gaff. And your, your, you know, your family or your friends, whoever you're with or whoever you're, are important to you, are, are there and they're beside you and they're talking to you and they're happy with you and you're happy with them. And the dog is there. You're watching TV and it's comfortable and the fire's lighting. That's that's the best feeling. It's not. It's not the. I mean, you. I mean, obviously, it's great to have that, have those highs when something brilliant happens, but to, to recognize that that's a high and it's a very specific thing and it's it's a unique thing and it does you know it doesn't happen all the time and to respect it for that. But contentment is a whole other thing, and it's a much better thing to be chasing than the high, you know. Yeah, and I think that, that that's the same for the lows as well. I think um, so. That was a big thing for me, even. And again, I probably relate everything back to Gavin because it's it, it's how I really understand me. Um, and in the last year, probably of my gambling, I was going into a bookies knowing that I was going to lose all my money. So, like that might sound crazy, but I I, I was at such a low point of waking up every morning and looking at myself in the mirror and going like, 
what are you doing with your life? You're all over the place. Basically running myself down every minute of every day. But then going into a bookies, uh, whether it's consciously or subconsciously, knowing that I'm going to lose all this money, going in, losing it, whether it be that day or two days' time, walking back out, getting into the car and looking at myself in the rearview mirror and going, I told you. Like you are you are on the floor, this is where you belong. As opposed to now, I'm at the kind of I'm at I'm trying to find a middle ground all the time. So again, if we win a game of football and you're on a high, I know that's great, but I know that's gonna go. And I know there's gonna be a come down from that. So if that happens on a Sunday, I'd be in great form, I'd be flying it from Monday, Tuesday, but I know by Wednesday I'm gonna be coming back down to neutral and I need to be prepared for that. Because if I'm not prepared for it, I'm gonna keep chasing the high somewhere else. Similarly, if I if we lost a game of football and I'm on a low, like say the Kildare game a few weeks ago. Well, I know that that's going to last for a day or two, but I am going to come back up to neutral. And it's just one of these things, like it's just life. Life will happen. And certain things are going to happen that you don't want to happen, but like we've no control over a lot of it. So don't feel responsible for a lot of it. Don't feel that you need to try and change it or control it or control your uh, reaction to certain things or to always try to make yourself feel happy or make yourself feel sad or whatever it might be that you're actually just looking for that place of balance nearly all of the time that um, you're going to just in general, you're just going to check yourself back down to that level of, yeah, I'm here, I'm at neutral, I'm okay, everything is fine, as you say, content. And that's something that I do every morning. Now, <laughs> it used to be that early, but now since the dog came along, it's a little bit earlier. But I'm getting up with the dog and I'm feeding him or whatever, and he's roaming around the kitchen floor, and I'm in the living room sitting on the couch, and I'll just sit there in quiet for some mornings five minutes, some mornings 20 minutes, some mornings 15, whatever it is. And even as you were talking there about that contentness, I was feeling like an energy flowing through me here as I'm sitting here listening to you. And it is of that content, like it is that kind of shiver, that thing I'd feel up my spine of, I don't know what it is, it's life, like it's just, it's that energy. And I'm, I'm feel, I feel that every morning before I do anything. And it's that level of contentness and peace of mind. And geez, not, whatever, whatever happens today, like it could be the best thing in the world, it could be the worst thing in the world. But ultimately, I'm going to come back to this level. I'm, this is me and I'm just going to go through the day. And once I can get myself into that sense or that place of being content, more often than not, I have just the best days. Like There mightn't be much in it um, and it's really challenging at this time because obviously we can't do a whole, a whole lot. Um, so I think it's important for people to get to that point and actually take a bit of joy in the average mundane stuff that might be viewed as ordinary, like washing the dishes or I can eating her dinner or cooking the dinner or whatever it might be, like trying to find a bit of fun in that. Um, that's what I'm trying to get then out at the moment. But it's kind of like you need to, it's almost because depression and addiction and all those kind of things, they, they go hand in hand and, and mental health and all that kind of stuff. Looking after yourself and being kind to yourself, it's it's all wrapped up and it's all in the same space. And, you know, there's, there's kind of like... If I could say it to somebody who's struggling, like, look, you're you're struggling. You know, it's like, what you want, what you want out of telling somebody that you're struggling, what you want the outcome to be, isn't probably what you think it needs to be. If you know what I mean, like, all you're looking for is contentment, and that that's where the happiness is. That's where it's just contentment you're looking for. You're not looking for like I I rang. Um, I spoke to a friend of mine who's living in London and I felt like he might have been, it was during the first lockdown, he was working from home. Um, his parents weren't well, his sister wasn't well. And I was talking to him and I said, look, will you, 
I just he was he just seemed on edge. He seemed out of sorts, and he couldn't. He was frustrated because he was locked down. He couldn't go to anybody to help them out. And he was kind of one of these people that was a bit of a kind of a fixer. Like he'll step in and sort a few things out. And he was a good man, you know. And I said, well, if I give you the number, someone will you ring him and talk to him? And he got annoyed at me. He said, what the what the fuck is he going to do? Is he going to get rid of COVID? And I was like, no, he won't get rid of COVID. Which is a, which is a very natural response. I said, he won't yeah. get rid of COVID, but he'll help you to cope with your situation. And that's all anyone can do, because you talked a little bit about control and trying to control. And that's what you're, you're struggling with. You're struggling with, I can't control the situation. This situation isn't getting better. This isn't living up to my dreams. This isn't where I need to be, where I should be. And this, how is somebody going to help me with that? You know, that's not, you're, it's almost like you're asking the wrong question. You just need to be looking at some, a, a counselor or a therapist or, or a group or whatever it is and saying, Jesus, can they get me back down to earth? and get me to cont- to just enjoy who I am and where I'm at. You know, they're not going to help you get to whatever your crazy dream was. You know, that's not the point. Does, yeah. 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 The, 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 the funny thing is, in the first lockdown, um, now probably the weather, because it was, it, was, it was nice weather, but I absolutely loved it. Like, I I thrived through it. Um, and I don't mean to annoy anybody like when I say that, but it's the truth. Like I And a lot of my friends who were in recovery were the very same, for the simple reason that, the tools that you're given in recovery kind of prepare you for this um, to a point of, so COVID happens and this is now a reality. So you're not going to be able to change it. So we can all go into fantasy land and say, um, and there's books out that say, look, if you take this about this long enough, you'll end up achieving it and you'll do all this sort of stuff. And like, don't get me wrong, that works to a point. Absolutely it does. But there's certain situations where this is reality and you're going to have to accept reality for what it is, but you need to look after yourself within that reality, or you need to make sure, as you mentioned earlier, to try and get yourself to that level of being content within this reality. So how does that work for you? Well, that looks different for a lot of people. So as I say, for me, it could be chatting to a guy in um, one of my friends who was in recovery, just bashing things out with him once or twice a week, just having the chat. Uh, for somebody else, it could be going for a couple of walks. Somebody else, it could be doing a, going for a run somebody else could be talking to their family you know what i mean there's lots of different ways people cope and with these sort of things but to not face the reality that's put in front of you is basically you know it's it's going to be completely detrimental to you in the long term because it's not going to have any positive effect and you're going to wake up every day in bad form because you're going to say oh fuck this what's the point what am i going to get up for we're actually the thing you spoke about earlier about sitting on the couch with the dog watching telly spending time with the family like you could say, oh, this is a lot of shit. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? I'd sooner be, I'd sooner be driving up to Dublin, or I'd sooner be going to see a show, or I'd sooner be going to wherever. But the fact of the matter is, this is your reality. So what are you going to do? Are you going to? There's a great quote actually they use in, in Gamblers Anonymous. Something I think Abraham Lincoln said it. Uh, Today I'll be as happy as I make up my mind to be. So you have that choice in the morning: Am I going to be in good form today, or am I going to be in shit form today? Now, obviously, different things happen throughout the day, and like you have to deal with life as it comes and obviously if someone gets upset or you're sad or you're grieving or whatever it might be well then you feel that and you live through it but uh, a lot of the time people are waking up every morning and they're self-sabotaging their day they're saying fuck this I don't want to have a good day today I feel like shite I'm used to feeling shite I'm used to feeling comfortable um, and this is often a problem in recovery as well if someone comes in they get a bit of few weeks or months recovery into them life is starting to turn good for them they're feeling well and then they don't know the feeling they've never had it their whole life has been about feeling shit, being in bad form, 
uh, sabotage in certain good situations. So what do they do? They go back, they revert back to that. And that's a challenge for me as well when I started. I suppose the first two years was like a honeymoon. Everything was going well. Fuck me. Anything I tried would work with it, whatever. Uh, just hit the nail in the head. There was no problems at all. And then a few problems start coming in. I go, oh, jeez. So what do you what do? You do? Do, you, do you say, oh, here, sure, life is shit. The last two years have been a waste of time. Or, and you go back to square one, or do you actually just deal with those challenges as they come up and deal with them on their own merits? And this is something I always often say is 300 and nine days in a year, 365 is it? Usually, yeah. Yeah, 365. 365 is it? 360. 300, yeah, 365 days in a year. And I used to always say, when I was gambling, I would say 65 of those days were good, the other 300 were bad. And since I've stopped gambling, it's flipped that about 300 of those days are good, and there's 65 of them then are a little bit of a struggle. Um, and that's okay. It's okay to notice that and to accept it and to live through those days, not try to fix or alter or change anything, but just to accept them for what they are, but knowing that tomorrow, more than likely, it's going to be good. Yeah, and I think that's what I, I think. I think you you obviously have your like I have little tri- things that I do every morning, so I have a routine every morning because mm-hmm. bad days used to turn into bad weeks. Whereas now, if I'm having a bad day, I I know in the back of my head, I'm, well, in the morning when I get up, I'm going to go through A, B, and C, and that sets me day up. So I know like it's never going to be a bad week. It's always just if the day starts getting out of hand, it almost. It doesn't allow the day almost doesn't get bad because I'm going, well, I just reset in the morning. So it just calms me down. Yeah. A friend of mine actually has a great saying, like I could ring him at three o'clock in the day and there could be a thousand things going wrong with work and it's just overwhelming. And I'm trying to stay calm and trying to stay relaxed, but sometimes it just gets in at you. Uh, and I could ring him at like two o'clock and say, oh, geez, this is like days going bad and this after happening and I'm trying to do this, trying to do that. And he goes, okay, one by one, just go through, take off your list, what needs to be done, work through it. You'll have that done by four o'clock. And then he, he always says, and remember, you can start your day at any time. So you'll just say, at four o'clock, that's your day starting again. So deal with whatever you have to deal with. But then boom, it's done. And now we can just start start afresh. So you don't need to prolong it. It's even with the football thing. We lose a game of football on a Sunday. Because a supporters could be disappointed or some of my teammates might be disappointed or I'm disappointed or my family's disappointed. I don't need to justify their disappointment by me being a bad form for two weeks does that make sense like yeah yeah it's, it's that thing it's that thing of i better hang my head in shame now if, yeah, any, if yeah. anyone sees me i better be in bad form because yeah because yeah. then they'll there's think guy, i don't care there's a guy Declan kyle he does like uh Declan's, uh you might have actually spoken before i'd imagine you might know him but he does he has this book called the green platform um and uh he would have worked with awfully back jesus about 2008 and i've got quite friendly with him from then like he used to be a he used to be a priest He's not, in the, he's not in the priesthood anymore, but uh, he's, uh, oh, he's a great man. But he would say, what's his saying? Something like, uh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry I'm not in bad form because you want me to be in bad form or something like that. I'm sorry, I'm sorry I'm not disappointed because you're disappointed or something along those lines like that people expect because something's just going wrong for them that you should be in bad form as well. But actually, you have full control over how you feel yourself on a daily basis. Like, now I'm talking about this and like a little bit preaching it, but... I can be, I can fall into that bracket myself. Like if I'm in bad form, and someone else is in great form. Oh, fuck off! I don't. I don't, <laughs> want, to, I don't want to deal with this. But, uh, but again, it's just being aware of that, like, and being aware of how you react in certain situations and why you're why you're like that. Like, but it is funny. Like a lot of people would expect you to be in bad form just because 
you know something could be going wrong with their day and they want everybody else to be brought down like so again again it, it's a good lesson for me as well because if i'm around that type of negativity all the time like i find it dragging me down so i need to know like you talk about people places and things i need to be very very aware of where i am who i'm around and what i'm doing because if i'm in a situation where that type of negativity is there if i'm in say a pub where there's horse racing on the television um all those things i i'm super aware of them all the time so even like if laura is in bad form during the day and I find it's wearing on me. Like I'd say to her, like, so I might just need to go out for a walk or need to get away for an hour or go for a cup of coffee or whatever. For no particular reason, you're quite entitled to be in bad form. Like it's 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 not my issue. Um you can you know what I mean? And it's fighting and it doesn't happen very often, I have to say that as well. But I just know myself, if if I feel it dragging me down, well I know this isn't the right environment for me to be in and I need to take twenty minutes, half an hour away. And it's not it's not me being selfish. It's me just yeah. a bit of self it's me just having a bit of self care, you know. Yeah. Yeah, self care is different to being selfish, and uh, yeah. and yeah, that's that's a very important distinction as well. Um, tell us a little bit about the the sportswear, uh, and how you got into that, and how that's gone, and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, so I set up twelves. Uh, I set it up. Uh, it's about five years ago now. So can I just I, can I, I just say it to people because you mightn't say this, but this is the man responsible for the short socks craze. <laughs> I yeah, mean, well, I don't know. I don't know if you saw the short socks, if you invented the short socks, but every footballer yeah. up and down the country is wearing the short socks now. And yeah, no. I, I, I believe it was you that started it. Yeah, well, that was the that was the. So I, I was trained, but awfully, I was working for, um, I was working for a guy in. I was managing a factory firm, and um, kind of always had a had a a desire to set up my own business, but I had absolutely no idea what I wanted to do. Now, I've been running this factory and I got to know the ins and outs of running a business to a point in terms of, you know, you buy something for X, you sell it for Y, you're paying your staff, you have all your costs or whatever. So I got a great learning there. And then I always said, I want to do something on my own, but I had no idea what it was. And we were training, at the time anyway, when you went training with Awfully, for example, most of the guys were training with like an Adidas or a Nike tennis sock. So they're all black or they're all, they're mostly white with like the black logos on them. And I started wearing them myself then to train because I just found there were so easy to just throw on. You didn't like, so at the time, only everyone was wearing O'Neill's at the time and they only had the knee length socks and everyone used to turn them down and strap them around their ankles they'd wrap tape around them to stop them moving on their feet and everything. And I'd be obviously forward, so I'd be kicking the ball a lot more and taking shots and they used to be so uncomfortable if you kicked the ball, like you'd feel them slipping or if you're taking it free, you'd feel them slipping down. And So anyway, we're wearing these to train them one night and myself and a guy, Ken Casey is his name. He was on the panel with us at the time. And Ken was walking out wearing the socks and I was wearing mine. And I said, geez, it would be great if somebody made these in like the county colours or the club colours. And he goes, yeah. And we've been chatting about it before. And he goes, yeah, you should, that's what you should do now for your new business. So I went home that night, uh, Googled, how do you make socks? <laughs> <laughs> Looked to see how much it was going to make them, cost to make them. So I came in at about like nine or 10 euros to actually make them here in Ireland. And I said, no, that's not going to work. Uh, so I literally went online, found a supplier in China that night. Uh, they come back to me, email the next morning. I said, send me on some samples. I sent the samples over. And uh, yeah, they arrived in. They were about an inch too short on the ankle. So I got them adjusted. Bought in 5,000 pairs. They sold out uh, probably within a month, month, six weeks. Then I bought in 21,000 pairs after that. Got the logo done up. Uh, Rebranded the website. Called it 12s. Uh, started from there then with the half-length socks. Sold 21,000 pairs in a couple of months. Bought in 40,000 pairs after that. And from there, then we built on it. So I went to baseball hats, uh, snapbacks, and then the logo that we got designed. I got a guy called Joey Tehan was his name. He did the graphic designer. He designed the logo. So uh, I'd um, 
I'd fucking I'd no idea like what I wanted. I said I want a one, the number one, a two, and an S would be fine for the logo. Like so he came back down with the Roman numerals with twelves written underneath it. And uh I said, geez, that'd look really nice on a t-shirt. Um so we kind of went from there then. Uh, a guy, Brian Higgins, was the CEO of Pieta House at the time, and they asked me to uh, invite me to a thing. And I got chatting to him about the business. And he said, Oh, a friend of mine is a, she's a fashion designer. She's from America. She's living in Dublin. So I met her through him, and she designed the first range of gear. It's still on the website, actually, the, the gym wear, compression gear, and stuff like that. And kind of just branched out from there then into ladies' range, gym wear, into team wear, and stuff. And uh, yeah, we're going into the golf range now. That's all in production now at the moment, and uh, we've some tennis stuff in line as well. And looking at opening our first our first shop was down looking at it last week, but just not just have to tidy up the finances around it first to make sure we're ready to go. So I won't say where it is just yet, but uh, that's the next plan to try and open like a sports cafe where it'll be you'll have all your gym range and stuff and your 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 difference for your different sports, but have a big screen TV with sport on all day and little coffee dock in the corner, smoothies that type of stuff as well. So. Um, it's good like I want it to kind of be like a lifestyle thing where I want to incorporate like uh, even like I've set up I've set up a foundation as well where I want to have a profit of a certain amount of the profit will go towards the foundation where we can start linking money back into places like the Rutland Centre and things like that where people can't afford to go in for treatment or might need it for addiction and things like that so um, again they're all great ideas it's just trying to trying to get it to that level is, is the challenge but I found over the last number of years things are happening at the right time and they need to be happening and I'm trying I'm trying to let go of trying to control everything as well in terms of the business and trying to do everything too fast and the right people are coming along at the right time and um, it's exciting like I love I love it uh, as I say I didn't start the business to to have the nice car or to you know make loads of money now I can go into that little dreamland every now and again still um, but I've snapped myself over definitely the last few months and said, you know what? I'm going to just do everything, all the mundane stuff on a daily basis. I'm just going to keep doing it, keep working through the stuff that isn't glamorous in the hope that eventually it's going to gather more and more traction. And like, it's been great. Like as I say, it's five years on the road, uh, been profitable every year. You know what I mean? It's, 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 it's tipping along nicely, like, and learned a lot of lessons over that, over that period as well. So it's been good, like, but just trying to keep it fresh and keep it kicked on to the next level is the, is the, is the big challenge with it. And I've learned a lot as well through the recovery. Um, so people will say geez you're opening your own business or running your own business is a bit of a gamble I like to use the word risk there is a different payoff on it and plus gambling if I was to back a horse for example I have no control over it. I literally have zero control over it. with the business I can make decisions based on you know first of all expertise of other people uh, get the right people in to do the jobs that I'm not capable of doing or not comfortable doing or not skilled enough to do and as well as that then uh like if it's getting a loan or a stocking loan to buy in stock, I'm now buying something that is tangible that I have that I can sell on. That's, you know what I mean? It's going to be of use to people. Whereas when I was in the bookies, you know, I wouldn't blink an eye at handing a thousand euro over a counter, like getting nothing back for it. It was just money down the drain. I might get money back, but more often than not, I wouldn't. Whereas at least now when I do invest money into stock or whatever, it's there. It doesn't lose value. It's in the company. It's in the business. Um, it'll be sold on at cost price. If it doesn't sell in the need time or, it'll be sold off for the profit obviously as well to keep the show on the road so there's been a lot of learning in that and I wouldn't have been able to run the business only for recovery because I wouldn't trust myself um, if I opened the shop and there was cash there you know I wouldn't be comfortable around it whereas now I'm definitely in those in the space where I would be comfortable and I think that uh, I think life things come at you in life when they're meant to come at you 
in terms of when you're ready for them, when you're ready to attack them, even if it's behaviours or if it's whatever that you need that need dealing with. I think they only come up at a time when you're actually ready to face into them. Um, so I do believe that's where the business is at at the moment, that there's lots of things coming down the tracks, but it's only now that I'm actually ready to, to face them head on, if that makes sense. And I know I talked to you before about doing some like maybe live podcasting or having like talks there for, for people to come along and listen to people who have been through certain things, whatever. Are you still, are you still hoping to do that kind of thing? Yeah, I think so. I think just from a, from one point, it'd be great to do it in terms of uh, building the, the brand and the, the, just getting the message out there, but more so even from an athlete point of view. So I'd be talking to a lot of people like I have to put send a proposal in today for a professional tennis player, basically who I want to get on board wearing the gear um, but I'm I'm interested in the athletes and the tennis people. But I think as more as that, I, I've done a bit of work. With, I do a bit of work with the GPA as well around off-field stuff in terms of career and where players are at to make sure that they're managing their off-field career as well as their on-field career. And I take a huge interest from an athlete point of view in the person as well as as opposed to the athlete because I know that they've loads of challenges outside of their sport. Um, so I'd love to get those stories told. I think there's a much better. Um, I think a lot of the time people can put like athletes, whether it be professional or GA or whoever it might be up on a bit of a pedestal that, you know, they don't have challenges that everybody has. And I think it's great to see that human side of people as well. So I'd love to explore that a little bit more in terms of obviously getting athletes on board in terms of ambassadors, but also to have a conversation with them around, you know, what other challenges have they got. And um, it's funny, I mentioned to my mother just came to me uh, when I got the concussion last year, she was in fierce bad form over um, she was a bit upset, like it wasn't getting better, and she was a bit worried or whatever, like. And uh, like I wasn't a good for either, I won't lie. But I was at home one day, and I kind of I had to, to, to work out the balance. Am I am I going to be in bad form here today with her, and then have her carry it for the rest of the day, or be in bad form because of it, or can I say something here that's going to put her mind at ease? And uh, so she was kind of in bad form, and blah, blah blah. I was sitting in the kitchen at home, and I said, "Ma, do you know do you know something that I've noticed over the last number of years?" And she goes, "What?" And I said, any of the good things in my life, the really, really good things have come through adversity. A lot of the time, something bad happens and it might seem bad at the time, but once you keep going, keep facing into it, keep doing the right things, generally something good will come along at the end of it all. Uh, and it was a nice little message. I don't know where it came from. <laughs> I said it, but I don't think it came from me. But um, it was just something that I just felt at the time that, you know, sometimes we can all have really, really shit things happen to us. But uh, I think ultimately something good will come of it as long as you don't go into that poor me state of saying, oh, geez, my life is terrible and why do these things always happen to me? But if you have tried to get as positive an attitude as you can from it, yeah. um, I think once you hold on to that, I think you will, uh, something good will come from it. So that's kind of what I'd like to delve into a little bit more through podcasts or live podcasts and stuff like that because I think people gravitate towards it because I think there is a bit of a sea change coming like, and you've done great work on it yourself around this whole idea of opening up, talking, um, and you're skilled at it as well to a point of there's a challenge around it because I've spoken to a lot of people who are struggling with addiction maybe and then they might come out and talk about it or, and they might be too soon like they mightn't actually have the tools and they mightn't have the they mightn't have the uh, the work done in the background to actually make them solid enough that they're able to speak about it and it might become a little bit overwhelming so um, I think that's important as well to find that balance and I think it's important to get that message across as well that you don't need to be like I give I know I'm rambling, but uh, no, no, work away. I, but I could give you, uh, like, I don't need to be talking to you today, or you don't need to be talking to me about this stuff. But I know that both of us will be okay, like, and we'll be comfortable in our own skin for the rest of today. Uh, 
and, I, and that's fine as well. Like, so if someone is talking about their own stuff to a therapist on the side or, or like in their own time, or if it's in a relationship, the whole world doesn't need to know about it. Um, as long as they're content and happy, you don't need to be going onto Twitter or Instagram or, or Facebook and promoting whatever or talking about yourself or talking about all your problems openly in an open forum. Like you can still achieve that quietly on your own. And I've often said that, like, because I've spoken about this, like I get asked to do things like this or I get asked to go to schools. But if I'd never spoken about it, I'd be quite happy. I'd be quite comfortable at home knowing that uh, I'm in a good recovery. Uh, you know, we mentioned the things about the, the yacht and the car and all these things. Like when I was wishing for those things, like the, the apartment or the nice house or the car or the good job, all these things, when I was wishing for those things and going to a bookies and hoping that I was going to get them in a the bookies, um, one message, if I can get this message across to everybody, anyone that's gambling anyway, any of those things, all of those things that I wish for while I was gambling, I've got them since I've stopped. So once I've started working on myself and working on my behaviours and like trying to do a bit of good in the world and trying to open a door for somebody else and letting somebody out in traffic, little small things like that, feel good about myself, feel mm. happy that I did something good. Once I've done that, I've been rewarded for it. Do you know what I mean? The world has, has come back to me and said, look, here you go. You can have your car. You can have the food in the fridge. You can, you know what I mean? You can have diesel in the car, roof over your head. Um, and I've had to do very, very little to get there. It's just been a case of working on myself and just trying to fucking be a decent person as best I can with with uh, more people that I meet on a daily basis. So yeah, because um, I think it's all out there for you if you just it's 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 a, it's 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 just the work of getting out of your own way. You know, sometimes we just block things. You know, we just we're just too busy. We're in our own heads, and we just you know you need to open up and see other people and try and help other people. And that's where that's where the contentment comes from. And that's where the you know yeah. all that stuff comes from. I think it's a trick in the mind as well. So sometimes I will tell myself that uh, I can tell myself, you know, I've I've ten million euro in the bank. I don't like, obviously, but I can tell myself I can tell myself that I do, right? And I'm sitting at home and I'm going, "Geez, I feel great now. I've ten million in the bank." Knowing that I don't, but thinking that I do, and then I'm going, "How does that make me feel?" And I go, "Yeah, I feel pretty good." Like so, then I, I take on the day and think, "Okay, I have that money now, so I'm not worried about financially. I'm, I have no fear. I'm secure. My life is good. I have everything that I need." Which I, which I had when I was born. So we all have these things when we're born. Like we all are unique and we're special and we're perfect when we arrive. And yet our mind kind of, get, as you said, gets in the way. So I'm thinking, right, I have 10 million in the bank. Don't need to worry about that. Don't need to worry about work. Don't need to worry about anything. So then everything that comes at me during the day, I do that, the mundane stuff, I do that with pleasure. Or if someone asks me to do something for them, yeah, with pleasure. Because I know I don't have the financial burden. But what I found happening then is people start buying stuff on the website. Uh, I get a phone call from a team in Cork looking for a hundred hoodies for the club. Just stuff starts to happen very, very quickly. And I find, as you say, I get out my own way then. I'm able to help somebody. I might pick up the phone, ring 10 people that I have on my phone that are struggling maybe with gambling or uh, whatever it might be. And I'm able just to kind of help and offer myself a bit of support. Uh, and that gets me out of my own head. That gets me out of worrying about Nile and worrying about, am I okay? What am I projecting out to the world? Or, you know what I mean? Those fears kind of disappear a little bit then. And, um, even the dog, great example. I'm down there, I'm playing with the dog, I'm feeding the dog, I'm there for about an hour and a half and I haven't worried about myself or I haven't thought, geez, what could I be doing now to benefit me here? You know, it's not me, me, me anymore. It's like, okay, how can I? No, I still go into that phase, absolutely, because I'm human. But for the most part, I'm thinking, you know, Laura's down in the room, she's working hard today, does she want a cup of tea? You know what I mean? And I feel great doing that. You know what I mean? I go, that gives me another little boost then that, you know what, I've done something good for somebody else. Um it's probably doing something for someone else is the most selfish thing you can do for yourself. 
because it makes you feel brilliant about you know what I mean it makes you feel brilliant about yourself so um yeah and enjoy it yeah no it's good it's good Jesus um I uh look I really appreciate you taking the time and uh and sharing your your story and uh I know you're very good you're very good talking about it as well um and sure maybe we'll do the podcast from the from the new shop whenever you Oh man, it'd be great. Whenever you do, do, do your listeners know? Do, do your listeners know that, that I'm the reason for this podcast? Well, I mean, you, you, <laughs> what are you talking about? You definitely, Jesus, you definitely planted the seed, and uh, I think, I think once, once the I, I talked to you about it, and then I was like, because I was still working at Two FM, mm. and then I got to a point where I was like, well, I could just do what I want to do because I wasn't doing what I wanted to do in Two FM. I was playing songs and I wasn't chatting to people I was interested in necessarily. It was just like. Yeah. Um, and I'd spoken to you about it, and then I was like, I need, I just need to, like, could I fucking do it, you know, or you know, what do I need? And it's just a matter of, you know, so like you did with the socks, I was like, what do I need? Like, I rang up a friend of mine who was able to say, well, you need X, Y, and Z. And you'd think, like, I work in radio, I should know these things, you know, yeah, yeah. And I did, I mean, it was all there, it was just a matter of someone else saying, well, you need this, oh, yeah, I have that, oh, yeah, I have that, oh, yeah, cool, I can do that, yeah. And, and there's some satisfaction, there's a huge satisfaction in, uh, I, I, you know, I contact the guests. I ask them if they'll come on. I record it. I edit it. I put it up myself from A to B, from A to Z. It's my, yeah. it's my work. And uh, there's nobody else in charge of it or tells me what to do or whatever. And there's a great satisfaction that as well. And I will, I would genuinely say to you that, uh, you know, it was good. It was great that you had suggested it and it got me thinking about it. And what would I say yeah, no. in a podcast? And what would it be? Um it's great when you see like I, I even find myself sometimes I'd be shy a lot a lot of time by nature and with the business sometimes I need to ring people to say look do you mind do you, can I do up a, a, a sample for the club or whatever it might be um, and I would struggle with that that that's the part of me that I wouldn't find I wouldn't be skilled at really in terms of opening up but I just have to push myself to do it like just get out my comfort zone get it out like we said get out my own way say right fuck I'm, I'm going to ring this guy then they pick up the phone and more often than not the worst they can say is no we're, we're fine but even from that, then it gives you confidence then to go and do it again. Like so, I love that when I see people taking on something or going and you know what I mean, taking the bite of scruff to the neck. It's it's brilliant. Like, um, and there, there is that, that getting out of your way. There is that genuine thing of like, it, the, literally, the worst thing that can happen is it won't work, and you just try something else. You know, there's no shame in it, and you know, yeah. you learn more from failure than success as well. You know, yeah, exactly. but um. So we'll do that. We so let me know when the shop is open. We'll do we'll we'll do a record a yeah, podcast. Oh, we're looking now. All going to plan now. I think they're 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 putting in a new floor at the moment. Uh, the the guy who owns it. So I'm looking if we're going to be moving in, it'll be the first of March. I think that's when we're looking for. So right. hopefully by then COVID will be broken down a wee bit and we'll be able to go full steam ahead. So we just have to chat to a few people over the weekend and get a few uh, things ducks in a row. But hopefully if that's the plan, we'll do it. And then they absolutely will be great. It'll be absolutely brilliant to have you on. Well, listen, uh, we'll talk again. And thanks very much Cheers, for your Pete. time and uh, enjoy the rest of your day. You too, Cheers, man. Thanks a million. Cheers. Take care. So there you go. That could be it. That could be our first live podcast live from the new 12s store next year. Fair play to Niall. Um, thanks for coming on and best of luck with the shop and the business and all that kind of stuff. And uh, we'll talk again. We will speak again. My man. My good man. Uh, I really enjoyed talking to Niall. Um, he's the type of person you can really take a lot from, you know, having a chat like that and just to hear. I mean, he, I really felt, I really felt the relief, you know, when he talked about his dad coming in and just going, 
right, this is it, what's the crack? And eventually he got to sort of say, look, this is the story. I'm a gambler. And uh, yeah, look, that's the hardest thing to do, but it's also the best thing to do. And things do get better. You know, admitting something like that is just the, is, is, is the start, but it's a huge step, you know. Huge step in the right direction. Right, let's let's look at some OGs. Thank you very much, Niall. Um, we'll talk again. Thanks for coming on. Uh, some OGs. So these are people that um, have been listening to the podcast from the start. And I've gotten in touch because I said, look, we're going to put a special list of the OGs. Maybe I'll invite the OGs to the live podcast in the shop. Oh, it's all coming together. I love it when a plant comes together. Uh, this is uh, an OG. OG stands for original. Should be OL really, shouldn't it? Original listener. Anyway, it's Keith's OGs. Um, so if you're listening in 2020 and you're an OG, send me an email. KeithWatchPod at gmail.com. From Tom Slattery. He says, hey Keith, loving the podcast. Especially now that you're more enthusiastic. Kids, eh? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, unfortunately... I can't tell you I'm in some exotic place listening on a beach while sipping on a pina colada. I'm in Blanchardstown, drinking tea. Tom, sounds exotic to me, to be honest with you. Stuck in Newbridge for the last while. Everywhere is exotic. Uh, Thank you very much, Tom. You are definitely an OG. Joanne Carroll. Hey, Keith. Just finished listening to your podcast with your friend Mike on Blocked Drains. I've never laughed as much. Ah, that was a good one. Best episode yet. He's such a fantastic storyteller. So much so you can visualise his stories. Probably not good for this one. The shit on the walls and the condoms at the end of the road. Looking forward to listening to the next one from Joanne. Thank you, Joanne. Joanne, you are officially an OG. This is from Mary. Hi, Keith. I started listening to your podcast when you had Baz Ashmawi as a guest. I'm a huge fan of his and I try to keep up with everything that he does. So this was a great introduction to you and the podcast. I'm on catch up at the moment and I've just turned in, tuned into episode 26 with Jason Byrne. And I heard you mention that you want to make a list of your OGs. I'm pretty sure I qualify, even though I have to backdate some of the episodes. That's fine. You're in before the end of 2020. I live in Jersey in the Channel Islands, so maybe I'm the only person from Jersey that listens in. Is she? Is there anybody else from Jersey listening in? Do get in touch. I have a connection with Ireland as my son married a Dublin girl and has been living in Ireland for the past 15 years. I don't agree with your son telling you your voice is boring. (laughs) On au contraire. She writes on the contrary. I find it very soothing and I usually listen to the podcast late at night for relaxation. I'm 73 by the way. So I could possibly not only be the only Jersey woman listening to the podcast, I could also be the oldest. From Mary Greenwell. Thanks, Mary. Are you the oldest? First of all, is she the only one listening on the Jersey Islands? Or in Jersey, on the Channel Islands? Second of all, is she the oldest listener at 73? Well, I don't know if this counts, but I know my dad listens. And my mum listens. So, I'm think I'm safe enough to say that they're a little bit older than that. Not much, though. So I think, Mary, you're not quite the oldest. You're probably one of our youngest, Mary. 
and young at heart, I think. But yeah, if you're listening, if you're if you're listening and you're older than that, or you're listening on the Channel Islands in Jersey, even better, uh, do let me know. And if you want to be included in our list of OGs, and possibly, possibly, I'm only this is thinking out loud, going to our first ever live podcast, and uh, we could do it in twelves. I'll line up a special guest. Um, we'll do it in the new twelve sports shop. Uh, that'd be cool. Yeah. So uh, email me Keith Walsh, Keith Walsh Pod at gmail.com or keithwalsh.watch at gmail.com that would be great I'd love to hear from you I have more uh, emails from OGs that I haven't gotten to and I will uh, I'll save them for another podcast I might read some of them out to Mike when we record over the weekend so thanks for getting in touch and keep them coming in and let us know where you're listening even if it's Blanchardstown that's cool that is cool um Funny story, actually. Is a funny story? Before I go. So on the when I talked to the singer, songwriter, producer, rapper, JLOL, who is currently living in Newbridge, uh, which he was surprised uh, that I knew about. Anyway, I mentioned my son. I said, oh, I was telling my son that he should email you and say, I want to be, I want to be on your, you know, you should film your next video at the Newbridge Skate Park and I want to be in it. I was telling this that I that I told my, my son to do that. My son didn't do that because he's more sense. But uh, anyway, so Jay, J-L-O-L, Jay uh, contacted me afterwards because he looked up Finn online and uh, Finn is quite good on the scooter, as I may have mentioned before. He does some pretty cool tricks. And uh, he was pretty, he was blown away. He was blown away by what he saw. And he got in touch with me to say, he's, he's he's fire, he's on fire. Anyway, my son was looking on Instagram last night and Jay has a new album out, which he was promoting at the moment. So he was doing an Instagram live and Finn messaged him and said, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm Finn Walsh, um, how are you? You know, because he was asking for people to, he was like, who's listening, where are you? Finn's like, I'm in Newbridge, I'm Finn Walsh. And then he goes, Finn Walsh, Finn Walsh, okay. You could see him thinking, you know. And then he said, my dad interviewed you, blah, blah, something, something, something. He went, oh, yeah, Keith Walsh, yeah. Oh, you're Finn Walsh. And then it it clicked with him. He said, you're the, um, you're the, you're the, uh, the scooter guy. This guy is, who's telling anybody on the, on the live Instagram that uh, this guy is, he's fire. On the scooter, so Finn got a great thrill out of that. It was 15 minutes of fame for Mr. JL while giving him a shout out. And uh, yeah, it was cool. Actually, I've just gotten a message from Jay, which I'll read to you. If I can find it. Um. <laughs> he said, uh, I heard them recommending your podcast on TV. And I was like, that guy still owes me a coffee. <laughs> Laughy face. Well, I'm happy to buy you coffee anytime, man. Um, okay. Don't forget to send me in an email to say you're an OG or just that you're listening and you're enjoying it. Don't forget to um, rate the podcast five stars. I think the other stars are broken. It's five stars only at the moment. And subscribe. That's very important because subscribing, if you go into your account and you subscribe, that'll get me up the charts. And uh, I'm with ACAS now. I want to press them. Do you know what I mean? So all those kind of things, and tell your friends about it. 
That'd be great. I'd really appreciate that. Um, and thanks for listening. And be well. Stay safe. Um, another podcast you could check out if you listen to the Emma Doran chat is uh, Up to 90 podcast. Up to 90. Like as in the 1990s. Uh, up to 90. It's very good. With Emma and Julie J. Two comedians. Anyway, I'm going to go. Have a good evening. It is now just gone quarter to ten on Thursday evening. I'm going to hang out with my family for a little while and then try and get an early night. I've got to interview the comedian Alison Spittle tomorrow morning for the podcast, which will go out at some stage over the next two weeks. Uh, I still have a chat with Kevin McGahern, the TV presenter, comedian, writer, film star, TV star, actor, stage, screen, big screen, little screen. Um, I have that in the bag and I also have a chat with Moontour Ray Ray Cudahy he's the te- one of the teachers remember they had the school during lockdown what was it called the school hub I don't know what it was called they had three teachers basically to teach the kids for an hour every day during lockdown when the schools were closed and Moontour Ray was one of them he's a cool guy big hip hop fan um, really nice fella we had a great chat and I really discovered a lot about we talked a lot about Zig and Zag. He's he's a big Zig and Zag fan. He knew a lot about them, and a lot of very surprising facts about them. Being you know, big hip hop fans, uh, really kind of underground stuff, and that's where a lot of the Zig and Zag uh, influences and stuff came from. So there you go, stuff you didn't know. You will learn it here on the Keith Walsh podcast, guaranteed. Good luck. Until next time, mind how you go. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.